Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. But you also had people that were very fine people. Very fine people on both sides. And the, and the aliens would mind meld and give them the technology. They're bad aliens. So the, uh, Are you surprised the Nazis were influenced by demons? No, if demons are real, I would definitely think they'd be on the side of the Nazis. Yeah. McDonald's is connected to the Clintons. They chop up the bodies and put them into the sausage and hamburgers. People are being cannibalized. Look it up. And I'm watching CNN talk about this as violent white nationalist protests. We have done everything in our power to keep this peaceful, you know? It's uh, Pepe's become kind of a symbol. Welcome to Yeah Na Passaran, a show about fascism and its gravediggers. I'm Cam Smith. And I'm Andy Fleming. And this week we are joined by Jock Palfreyman, a man who needs no introduction on 3CR. Thanks for joining us, Jock. Thank you. I think this is the first time I've ever spoken to Andy. It is. <laughs> it's been a while, eh? <laughs> Yeah, 14 years? Yeah, yeah, a long time. Uh, but it's, we're all grown up now, so um, let, let's crack on. All right. We've discussed your case a few times uh, over the years, Jock. Have, have you now? With uh, Belinda Hawkins, especially. Oh, okay. But maybe just for anyone who doesn't know, you could give a, a short uh, recap of how you ended up spending 12 years in a Bulgarian prison on completely made-up charges. So I saw, um, I was on holidays in Bulgaria, and I saw uh, about 15 neo-Nazis like, try to grab uh, a guy with dark skin probably uh, Romani, and he tried to get away and they called him the Bulgarian version of the N-word for Roma people. And the, the Roma guy ran from them and I, I went close to see if he escaped. And when they caught up to him, they, they brought him down to the ground and started beating the shit out of him. And that's when I ran towards the group and started pushing them away and stopping them from beating the guy. And the group turned on me and tried to kill me with stones, tried, tried to smash my head in with blocks of cement. And then I was knocked out several times with cement. And when I woke up, the police were arresting me. And I was charged, later I was charged with murder and attempted murder, basically, of the whole group for basically no reasons at all. So it was like premeditated murder without any motivation. The, the, yeah. the formal motivation was that I wanted to shock Bulgarian society by breaking the law. That's my motivation. Oh, yeah. That, fa- that famous motive that you often yeah. see on the street. Yeah. Of course, the whole... The basis for the whole thing was that there was no violence prior to my involvement, that I was the only actor who was violent in the whole scenario. So like 15 guys were just walking along in the street. I jumped out with a knife and tried to kill them all. That's what I'm convicted for. In terms of the prosecution, <laughs> there's so much dodginess in this prosecution, like from the yeah. prosecutor to like the forensic experts that were called. Yeah, it, no, like, it's it, it sounds crazy, but it, <laughs> it all happened. Yeah, they, 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 they count. They're, they're idiots. They're really sloppy. So they, they did a really, really bad job of covering up the evidence, which Belinda, as you've spoken to before, she, she uncovered a lot of, well, uncovered, she pieced together a lot of the like, gl- like blatantly obvious contradictions in the prosecution story. But they didn't actually care so much about covering up because they just knew that the judges were involved. So they didn't actually need so much. Like they were trying to help the judges by, covering up evidence 
they were trying to help the judges by fabricating evidence. But at the end of the day, it's just this, they, they were so sloppy and so lazy. There's so much evidence against the prosecutor. But they, like I was saying, they, don't, they, they weren't relying on that. They weren't relying on the proper cover-up uh, going towards a, an, an objective trial or court case, court hearing. They were relying heavily on the fact that the judges were their guys and that they were going to make decision no matter what that I was going to be guilty, no matter what the evidence was. So, yeah, like I, I say this a lot. It was so, so sloppy. And you go, you look at the witnesses, like like literally every single witness who is not part of the, the neo-Nazi gang, like literally every single witness from across the road, from the security or the expert witnesses or the psychologists or the psychiatrists, literally every witness is supporting my version of events. Literally all the physical evidence, the video cameras, the video evidence, literally all the evidence that is not the group of neo-Nazis is in my defense, in my favor. And the only evidence that's against me is from the 15, is from the 14 neo-Nazis themselves. And the irony with this is that in the court decision, it literally says in the same sentence, although the group of men are, 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 are probably lying to cover up crimes that they have committed, the court finds that their statements to be truthful. That's, that's very accepting of them. Yeah. Yeah. They're, well, I mean, they're liberals after all. So you, you're sentenced to 20 years, of which you served 12, and then a little bonus year in uh, Bulgaria, not being allowed to leave. Yeah. Uh, could, could you tell us about uh, what you did in prison? Yeah. So we formed the Bulgarian Prisoners Association. Just because we were being smashed there, I was being smashed. Everyone was being smashed. Basically, everyone who can't, everyone who didn't have money, everyone who was illiterate, couldn't stand up for themselves. We, we didn't know the laws. We couldn't read and write. We didn't have money for lawyers. So, so in prison, we were, we were really having a hard time. Like only the rich prisoners were able to pay for lawyers and defend themselves, all the, all the literate prisoners, because I, I couldn't read and write Bulgarian at the time. So, yeah, the Bulgarian Prisoners Association like took up that slack uh, in terms of paying for lawyers for prisoners who can't defend themselves for one reason or another. So whenever a prisoner was abused, like beaten or tortured or or some other form of abuse, harassment, we were able to get them legal aid. Yeah, and we're still we're still doing it. I can't imagine that made you very popular with the prison authorities. Um, yeah, you'd be surprised actually with that one, that because many prison authorities actually hate the corrupt prison authorities. So they're like the more normal prison authorities who are just trying to I wouldn't even say do their jobs. They're just trying to like I guess some type of harm reduction as much as possible. But then there's this other huge corrupt side of the prison system that is just all about embezzlement and bribes and, you know, free, like the staff just doing what they want, abuse of power. Um, and so there actually were a lot of staff who were really, really happy with what I was doing. So there was one, there was one guard. I remember it was like my last, my second last day in prison. He was taking away around a group of young guards who had just started the week before. He was taking them around on a tour and the old guards started shouting at me and laughing and going, Grey wolves, grey wolves, where are they now? Where are the grey wolves? Where are the grey wolves? And all the young guards were really shocked that a guard was talking to a prisoner like as a friend, like and in a positive way. And I started laughing and I I uh uh I gave the fist salute and he was laughing and clapping. Uh because um there was a, a gang of guards. They actually formed a literal gang of guards in the prison. One of the members, probably the leader, was uh one Mitko Mitko Ivaivov Spasov. I I still remember his three names. I wrote so many complaints about him. But he was the leader of this group called the Grey Wolves. It was a literal prison guard gang. 
and they made themselves a flag. They they got tattoos of wolves, and they were the most corrupt gang, like selling heroin, beating prisoners, torturing prisoners, smuggling in contraband and everything. And they were so vicious that they were not just beating and harassing prisoners, but also beating and harassing other guards because they they were like because they became like a gang. It was like either you're with us or against us kind of thing. So all the guards who didn't want to be aligned with this criminal group were being harassed by them. And I saw the guards in the gang actually beating other guards who were not. So it was because of my work and my activism and also, of course, the work of other people in the association. We got we got that gang separated and they sent all the members of the gang to different prisons and different institutions around Bulgaria. And it was actually really easy to like find a lot about them because uh, for a long time I had a, a Facebook profile that everybody, that all the guards, they thought it was a guards profile. <laughs> and I, and I, just, I just joined all their groups and their pages and I just saw all the photos that they were uploading. And so I was able to prove that they had formed a gang called the Grey Wolves with all the photos. Like they had uploaded all the photos of themselves getting tattoos, the, the, uh, getting a wolf tattoo, you know? Terrible OPSEC. Well, it's like like the court case. Like they don't rely on intelligence; they just rely on everybody being corrupt. Despite all the difficulties, you survived and were able to contribute to the formation of this union and, and fight for prisoners' rights. I don't know if the your eventual release came as a surprise to you or not. What sustained yeah. you during the <laughs> during the years you're inside? Uh, just stubbornness. <laughs> <laughs> just stubbornness, not wanting to. I, I, I say this often when people ask me, but I think not wanting to, to admit that, not wanting to admit or accept that to beat or murder somebody because of their skin color is a legitimate action. So that was why I went to prison. And that was the principle I was defending from the day I went into prison to the day I got out. And like, I'll be damned if, if you know, neo-Nazis are going to, you know, like if I commit suicide or if I, do something stupid in prison, I'll be damned if I'll prove in any way, shape or form, prove my actions to be illegitimate. So yeah, that, that kept me really strong through my time in, uh, in prison. Was, was the belief in the reason why I went to prison in the first place. And what's the current state of the um, association? The, the current state is mixed because, uh, of course, it's more difficult now that I'm out because a, a lot of the violations I used to report myself that I saw myself. So that's more difficult relying on other prisoners to pass out information. But yeah, it's, I mean, it's basically, it's very similar to how it was before, because anyway, it was being ran via the prison telephone, calling lawyers, calling media, calling journalists. So now it's not so indifferent in terms of, I still have access to the media. It's even easier. They can call me 24 hours a day on my mobile. I can speak with the lawyer 24 hours a day. I have more free access to internet and computers and things like this, things like this. So, yeah, it's it's mixed. Like some things are easier and some things are are harder. These guys were uh, neo Nazis. They were hooligans. What can you tell us about that tendency within Bulgaria, and how do you think it's progressed over the past, I guess, almost decade and a half? What's the situation now? I think it's heading towards a I don't know what is the English word a crescendo maybe. Because like some of the older neo-Nazi parties and groups, they have basically disappeared. The fascist, the fascist formation that was in government for four years in Bulgaria didn't even get a single seat in um, the last three elections, which there were three elections 
just this year alone. And they didn't get a single seat in parliament in any of those elections. So, so some fascist organizations have been completely smashed and are basically completely irrelevant now. Uh, but then there are more. So a new fascist party got into parliament. And that's kind of what, that's kind of what's happened for the last 30 years is, uh, well, not 30, but let's say 20 is that all, a lot of fascist far right wing people vote for the most radical and most extreme right wing party that is possible to imagine who are promising genocide and a golden age of Bulgarian imperialism. And then they vote for them and they get into parliament and then they just all get rich. They get rich and they just give lip service to, to their ideals of genocide and imperialism and they don't do anything about it. And then the supporters say, well, you guys are not actually like what we wanted as in, they don't use the word fascist, but that's basically what they are and what they want. They want fascism. You didn't bring about fascism. So now we'll vote for these guys because they say they'll, they're going to genocide all these people and kill Jews and take over the world. So we'll vote for them. And then they get in and then they then get rich and make business deals. And then everyone gets disappointed and the cycle continues again. So right now there's a completely new fascist party that's in parliament. And yeah. And so it's hard to say exactly what's happening, but, but um, far, far right wing attacks have increased in Bulgaria over the last, I'd say about the last year. There was a, or I would say even last two years, there was an organized neo-Nazi attack on a LGBT community office, community space. They ran in and, and beat people and smashed them as much as they could and then ran away. There are more attacks, more people being attacked, more organized attacks, going into parks. This was uh, at the end of um, 2020. They went to, a, went to parks in, a park in Plovdiv and they went from both ends of the park and started beating everyone who they thought looked gay. And so, yeah, there are a lot of, there, there are more organized attacks. And the thing is, is that the Bulgarian authorities are not even arresting or charging these people as terrorists. They just charge them as something like public dis- disorder, public disorder. They're completely depoliticizing the political terrorist acts that these people are doing. So like the definition of terrorism in Bulgarian law is something like an act that is done to create fear in Bulgarian society. And so attacking the LGBT social center was not to stop the center because they know they're not going to stop the center just by smashing a few, a few tables and smashing laptops and stuff. So the whole point of the endeavor was to create fear. But then the prosecutor doesn't charge them for terrorism. The prosecutor charges them for public disorder. So all the far right wing terrorism that's happening in Bulgaria over the last year is not reported as terrorism. Like in 2012, neo-Nazis set off a bomb outside a political party in Bulgaria called Euro Roma and killed one Roma political activist. And never that was not reported anywhere in the entire world as a terrorist attack. In fact, you basically can't even find anything about it in English or any other language other than Bulgarian. And even in Bulgarian, there's only like four, four or five news articles about it. And not anywhere does it refer to them as terrorists. Bulgarian men accused of planting a bomb. It, it, there are you can't even find an article where um, it's written that the the person that picked up the bomb died. So. You can find like four or five articles online about a bomb going off, injuring one man, but he later died of those injuries in hospital like a day or two later. And you can't even find that written in Bulgarian online that actually the person died. So it's like, oh, it's just a little firecracker and the guy's just a little bit injured. That's basically, and even the public doesn't even know about, so doesn't even know about that. So it's just like a censorship of 
far right terrorism in Bulgaria. They don't they don't they don't even use the word terrorism, which is just insane. You know, uh, a fascist terrorist walks into a LGBT club exactly to cause fear to stop them from accepting public people. You know, uh, being a public place. So yeah, I think it's definitely getting worse. It's getting worse into like it's so it's getting worse and getting better. So it's like the same the same things happening at the same time. More people are more aware of LGBT rights and for, and more people are joining the cause for um, LGBT equality or Roma equality. And at the same time, the, the neo-Nazis are seeing this, that they're losing the battles, even, even though it's high, very, very slowly. And they're stepping up their attacks parallel with the rise in awareness of LGBT equality and, and Roma and, you know, racial equality and, and other things like this. So it's kind of like things are getting better at the same time as that they're getting worse. Um, there's also been a series of, I guess, popular revolts, protests against government corruption in Bulgaria. Is that creating the conditions for an ongoing movement for reform or change, do you think? Yeah, that was 2020. So so 2020, there was a massive anti-government protest, maybe the biggest anti-government protests that have happened for like 25 years. The government refused to resign. And then the next elections, the minority um, government partner that I already mentioned um, didn't even get a single seat. The, 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 the larger minority coalition partner uh, also took a hit and had less votes. But yeah, it's very difficult to say. Right now, there is a completely new political party in Bulgaria. Nobody really knows their actual politics. Bulgarians just voted for them because they were not anybody else. <laughs> so. It's too soon to know if this political party that, that has actually got the majority, it's the, not the majority, it's the largest minority, the largest percentage compared to the others. We don't, nobody knows actually what they're about. They don't have, they, they just registered a couple of months before the election. So like so far, there hasn't been any like major um, issues. But yeah, it's too too difficult to, to tell. But yeah, the the because there were three elections this year, I think probably the most progressive, the most progressive um, reformers for legislative reform, they were like refusing to make a coalition with some of the more dodgy parties, which are actually really right wing, like the Bulgarian Socialist Party, for example. So the more progressive parties refused to work with the Bulgarian Socialist Party, so they couldn't make majority. And then the next next elections, all all of those more progressive parties took a big hit because Bulgarians were just sick and tired of. Um, uh, of having to vote. So it was like, well, we'll vote for the new guys and let's see if they can make a, a government. And they did. But they've made a government with the Bulgarian Socialist Party. So that's a major cause of concern that the Bulgarian Socialist Party is backing government in any way, shape or form. Because the Bulgarian Socialist Party is more right-wing than the the major party that was there for the last 10 years, the, the GERB party, which is connected to European People's Party. The Bulgarian Socialist Party is also probably more corrupt than the party that's been in power for the last 10 years as well. So, yeah, it's just so chaotic. It's so difficult to, to tell what will happen. Like, if, if, if the other parties will be able to stop the Bulgarian Socialist Party from embezzling, stealing, and corrupting everything, or not, basically. Can you also just uh, briefly address how it is that you got to get out of prison, uh, the circumstances surrounding that, and your, I guess, current situation with regards... Um, your status in Bulgaria? Yeah, so I I got lucky. I got the three most well-known, famous anti-corruption judges in Bulgaria, and they just happened to 
uh, I mean, the cases are selected by the court clerks. So the court staff have always been against me. So like, it's just amazing that I was able to get these three judges picked to look at my early release hearing. And they could see clearly that, that it was all, it was all fake. Everything that was against me, that when one government was in power, I was getting, you know, good, good reports in the prison. Then another party would be in power and I just get these crazy punishments and crazy bad reports. And they could see, and they knew everything in my case. They, they knew specific cases that I had, like appeals that were going on, specific punishments. So they had read my dossier with extreme, uh, they were extremely careful when they were reading my dossier and they remembered a lot of it. And me and my lawyer, we were actually shocked and looking at each other when the judges started asking us highly specific questions about my time in prison and things like that. So, yeah. So then they then said, okay, you're not a threat to society. We decide that you can go free. And so that's what happened. And then, and then the fascists who were in power at the time, who didn't get a single seat in the last three elections, they then tried, they then illegally detained me in immigration prison. And then they were trying to illegally imprison me in immigration prison by lying to everyone that I didn't have a passport. I had a passport basically the first day when I left prison. And then for the next month, they lied to everyone that I didn't have a passport. And that's why I had to stay in immigration prison whilst they were trying to work out a way to overturn the decision that had me go free. So, yeah, so that's what happened. And then after a year, the Supreme Court of Cassation ruled for the second time, the decision couldn't be appealed, that the Ministry of Interior, who was keeping me in Bulgaria, they were keeping me illegally. And so it took a year for that decision to come out. So basically it's like the Djokovic situation now, but instead of him being released from immigration prison for the last two or three days, uh, he would stay, he would stay, yeah, instead of him having a court case in three days and being deported, he would have to wait in Australia for another year and a year, year and a half. So that's basically, basically what happened. But it was the opposite. Um, I wanted to go and the government was not letting me go. But the, the, like the legal process here took three or four days and in Bulgaria it took over a year. You're the anti-Djokovic. Um, in terms of the just your case, obviously there would have been um, a lot of reportage in Bulgaria and there was certainly reportage in Australia. What did you make of it and what were the, I guess, the response of the Australian government and other, I guess, members of um, civil society in Australia? Uh, what did you make of all that? Because I found one issue was, you know, there's not a, a large Bulgarian community in Australia. It's a long way away. Uh, people generally don't know a lot about the society. And it was kind of uh, difficult to also frame the events in terms of even getting people to grasp the fact that there are, you know, people who are Nazis who engage in violence. And sometimes, unfortunately, uh, individuals find themselves having to confront it. Well, yeah, it's funny you say that because a friend of mine, uh, we Skyped recently, and he was telling me, so um, I left Australia when I was 19, and he went to university in Wollongong, and he told me that in Wollongong, every Saturday and Sunday, basically every person who had darker skin would be beaten the shit out of um, in his area of Wollongong. And he himself has darker skin. He said just, it was just insane, the amount of times people would attack him on a Saturday or Sunday out in Wollongong um, just because of the color of his skin. And he said that even there was a, a time when uh, somebody hit him with a car 
because of the color of his skin on purpose day hit him with a car um and he was also saying about two or three of his other friends who were arabic ethnic ethnically arabic who were also very badly beaten and attacked and he was telling me all the stitches they had and all the um injuries they had permanent injuries like it's kind of for me me now it's kind of hard to fathom how people cannot understand that there are new nazis in bulgaria when clearly there are also a lot of racists and you know violent racists in australia as well and that's just one friend i have who has darker skin in um in sydney so i guess it's definitely more organized in bulgaria they have memberships clubs they identify as nazis that were swastikas and hailing and and things like that in terms of media the the media in bulgaria basically there was there's 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 no really there's really no at least when i was in prison there was no opposition media so all the media is owned by about three people which of course is even better than australia which is all owned by one person <laughs> or two but the thing is is that like when i was arrested i was the the foreigner i didn't have a gang so you can be in one of the, the bulgarians are basically divided like between the three big uh capitalists and let, and let's say there's a fourth group of people who are unaligned and so if you're in one group or another group you can use your your connections to get your story out in the media owned by the people you're loyal to and so on and so forth and i came over there i didn't have anyone i i didn't have any connections with these three big media tycoons and so the three of them were basically all on the side of the neo nazis and just smashed the hell out of me and it was so organized like i went to court and bulgarian police officers testified in my defense they said the group attacked uh, a roma man the roma, uh, the the foreigner went to defend the roma man and that's when one of the um one of the men from the group was killed so they said this in court and the next and you can still find i think it's channel 7 you can still find the channel 7 news report on youtube you know it's like something like a big change in the jokpo freeman case police come and testify uh uh in defense of jok that actually there was a fight and there, there was a rumor there and then in the bulgarian media when i went back to the prison i i watched every news to see how it was covered there hoping that there would be the same result like oh my god the jok is actually telling the truth and the all the media was um witnesses didn't come the court's been delayed there was no court hearing and that was it so there was a uh, uh, an organized and and uh, in the court i saw all the media there i saw all of them from all the major news companies because they sit there they have their logos and they have their microphones with their their channel um names on the microphones they were all there and not a single one of them reported what actually happened that day on the news that that police came and testified in my defense so yeah so so the australian media was definitely more objective saying both sides of the story my side that i saw 15 neo nazis attack a guy and then i went to defend the guy and then one of them was killed and then the other side of the story which was that i tried to kill 15 people for no reason so yeah so for the media the bulgarian media was so controlled it was so organized and even it was so organized even up until 2019 in january we gave a copy of the video footage from my case file to a journalist to put on tv and she kept saying next month next month next month and like 8 months later she still hadn't put the video on the tv 
And so I just called my friend and said, stuff it, put it on YouTube. And that's what we ended up doing. So even the journalists were covering up the, the case. Like it wasn't a mistake. They, they got the video, they knew the truth, and they called their boss and they said, I've got this video, should I put it on TV? And the boss said, God, no, don't do it. And then for doing that, they get you know, brownie points with whichever gang they're, they're affiliated with. So yeah, so the media was so controlled. In terms of government, you asked me three different questions in one question. Um, in terms of government, yeah, the Australian government. Was, Sorry, Jack. <laughs> yeah, the Australian government was really crap. It wasn't one government; it was Liberal and Labor governments over the last, you know, twelve. You know, for the whole twelve years I was in prison, I got basically no assistance from them whatsoever. The worst thing ever was they made a press release back way back in two thousand and eight like in the first week when I was arrested and they, they said Australia will not be involved. Jock, uh, Australia, Australia will not be involved. We will not get involved in Bulgaria's uh, justice system. And when that came out, it was just like on for young and old. The, the, it just got much worse for me in prison, in court, with the police, with the judges. Everything got much worse because then they were like, okay, no one's going to protect the rights of this guy. We can do whatever we want with him. And that's what happened. They gave me 20 years for something that didn't happen. So, yeah. And then the only good thing that the Australian government ever did was the ambassador personally gave me my passport when I got out of prison. And then and, and that was really good because they didn't have to do that because the, the, the protocol is actually to give it to me when I'm at the airport. But because but they did that exactly because the office of the head prosecutor of Bulgaria was lying every morning on TV saying Jock doesn't have his passport. That's why we can't let him go because the Bulgarian head prosecutor's office knew that the, pro the Australian protocol was not to give the passport whilst you're in detention, but to give it to you once you're at the airport. And so they were playing on this and lying to everyone that I didn't have a passport. So I then eventually, if you guys remember, I had to take a photo of myself holding my passport in the prison and then put it on my Facebook. And then only after that, they released me from the immigration prison. Since you've gotten out, Jock, how has life been? And, you know, have you had, um, what are the issues that are confronting you now? Yeah, it's, it, the last year has been really shit. <laughs> um, the year in Bulgaria was somewhat better uh, because I, I was in one place. I was with friends and my Bulgarian my Bulgarian family and, and friends and everything. So in, for, in one regard, it was better. I guess there was also the fear of being set up and put back in prison. But there was also stability because I was in one place, whereas um, the last year uh, I've been moving between different countries and different places. And, yeah, it's been a bit shit because – haven't I haven't uh, I haven't been a resident in any country that I've gone to, so I can't I don't have the right to work. I don't have any. Basically, I'm class I'm classified as a tourist, so I have no rights to anything. Um, so yeah, it was it's been really hard. It's been really hard, and yeah, um, yeah, I can't really say too much more without giving too much information away. <laughs> Just in closing, Jock, uh, you started this organization in prison. I was wondering, is there stuff that people could do to help prisoners organize within prisons in their own jurisdictions? What would have helped, what would have helped you? Yeah. Oh, uh, amazing question. Well, I mean, what would have helped, what would have helped me is exactly what did help me, although it took a while to find the right people, but basically just supporting 
us and what we were doing in prison. And I guess, like, basically people were supporting just out of the sake of supporting unionism, syndicalism, as opposed to, like, being anti-abolishment. So, um, sorry, being abolishment, uh, anti-prison. So, like, yeah, that's a problem with some groups and organizations is that they say, oh, there's no point on um, fighting for reforms. There's no point on fighting for change. We need to smash the whole prison system. The whole prison system must end. And it's like, well, yeah, that's that's great to say that if you're not in prison. <laughs> but if you're actually in prison, um, you know, fighting for an extra 10 minutes outside in the in the exercise yard or, an ex, you know, an extra half an hour in the sun, that that is a significant thing if you're in prison. So I guess... Um, like less politics is uh, uh, less ideology is probably a good thing and helpful. And I guess, I don't, I don't know, every country is different. Every prison is different. They have their own individual problems. Like, for example, I, I connected with a prisoner's union in Germany and they, they're fighting for better wages in, for German workers in prison. And that is such a different problem than we have in Bulgaria where we're actually fighting just to have anybody even go to work because um, two days of work is counted as three days time served. So if you work, you actually get out earlier. So we're fighting actually to have jobs in, in Bulgaria, Bulgarian prisons, whilst the Germans are fighting to have better pay for those jobs that they all have anyway. So like just the levels of problems are so different in every country. It just has to be completely individualized as what needs to be done. So it's really hard to give advice in that regard. But I guess like, I guess just just supporting what knowing that the prisoners that you're helping are intelligent and doing the right thing. And then after that, just trusting that they know what they're doing and that, and just supporting them in their decisions. So, and so we had some comrades that were so fantastic in doing that. Like when we needed something being done, they just basically did it even without um, asking why. So that was, that's really amazing. And yeah, I mean, now, um, now we have, uh, now we have we continued our legal aid, but we're also with some volunteers. So it took some years, but finally we got some more active volunteers, and they are continuing the newspaper that I started uh, in two thousand in early two thousand twenty, and they're continuing it now. So every month there's a monthly newspaper that goes out, which um, is really important because, um, like, even the prison authorities are not even informed when a law has changed. So we put all the law changes, we put all the information, we put all the news about prisons into our newsletter, send it out to about 60 prisoners across the country. And then that information then gets spread between the prison community. And there are actually also prison staff who, when they open the newsletter, they ask the prisoner, do you mind if I read it for a bit and give it to you after? And the prisoner says, yeah, sure. And prison staff are actually reading our newspaper because it's more informative uh, about legislative changes or legislative um, proposals for changes or just prison news. There's more information in our newsletter than the staff themselves get from the staff or something like that. Um, so, yeah, so in terms of our association, we need funding for that because it's several hundred bucks up every month for paper and printing and postage stamps. And then we're also doing the legal aid. So we still need funds to pay lawyers for that. And yeah, uh, we don't, if we got enough money, we'd be able to do more, um, to print more what in Australia you call merchandise. So like t-shirts and stickers, but that's right now a luxury uh, for us because we don't have 
so much money. So we're just concentrating the money on the essentials. I, oh, you know, also like public support is a major thing. That that is one thing that we didn't get uh, in Bulgaria was enough people to go out and actually make a protest. So when the guards beat a whole group of prisoners and were torturing them for two days, we couldn't get you know we couldn't get more than three people to go out and hold a banner in front of the Ministry of Justice opposed to the opposed opposing torture. So I guess that's a, a major thing that people supporting prisoners to also show the prison administration that the prisoners and the prisoners organization can mobilize public support and and that that and that's a form of, that's a power that can be held over the director of a prison like if you beat us if you torture us um, we are able to mobilize people outside to shame you and to bring public attention and to have you know checks come from the ministry and people asking questions why so i think that's one thing that we needed and we couldn't get in bulgaria well, Jock, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, if people want to find out more about the Bulgarian Prisoners Association, you can go to bpra.info, and people can also find you on Facebook and Twitter and Patreon. Just look up Jock Palfreeman. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you very much. Nice nice to hear from Andy for the first time in, in like <laughs> 14 years. <laughs> Hopefully it'll be uh, sooner the next time we talk, but thanks very much, Jock. Yeah, good to hear from you both. All right, folks, Global Intifada is up next. We'll catch you next week. Melbourne Pride will be taking over Smith Street and Gertrude Street Precinct on Sunday the 13th of February between 11am and 9pm. This free event is a state government initiative delivered by festival partner Midsummer to celebrate the 40th anniversary of the decriminalisation of homosexuality in Victoria. The Fitzroy Precinct will be transformed into a huge street party with two music stages, activities, community stores and more. For more information, visit midsummer.org.au. Midsummer is a 3CR supporter. Hey you mob, this virus is hanging around far too long, don't you reckon? Uncle Jack Charles here, and I for one would love to be back with community. This just isn't possible without vaccinating our community. You can contact your local ACCO and they can give you the information you need to book you an appointment so you're on your way. Together we can do better. Community, unity, immunity. Hashtag Vaxed and Proud. Authorised by the Victorian Government, Melbourne. A 3CR supporter.